This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, today I sat down and talked to Margaret Hansen. Margaret is the owner of Teach to Taste. She teaches a lot of people about cooking, gardening, baking, make some crazy intricate, fancy, neat looking food. Uh, and she likes to share the joy that food has brought to her life and share that with other people. Um, so she's super passionate about, passionate about it. Uh, this is one that I enjoyed. I hope you do as well. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Margaret, thanks for coming in today. Thank you so much. What a great opportunity. Yeah. Here to talk about an array of things, but food really, right? Yeah. Where did that start for you? We'll get into where it brought you to today, but how did your food journey begin? So I am a uh, local food educator and I do a lot with local gardening as well. I just love the thought of food and food is a wonderful connector. Um, food recently has come into my life as a different kind of proponent. It's not political and it's not um, flashy. Flute food is always just very wholesome. And um, I have three young children who are seven, five, and three, and I can't think of something better to teach them is about where food comes from and how to be such an independent person to cook it themselves. Okay, perfect. Do you mind moving that just a tiny bit closer? We're good. Right okay. there. Okay, perfect. So, but where did that begin with? Have you always been interested in food or has it been more of a recent thing that you've really taken it on another level? I am originally from uh, a little valley in the Upper Peninsula called Trap Rock Valley. And it's here in the Copper Country, and it's a very unique, very special place to me. Um, and you're from the from same well, area. Yeah, yep. Right. We used to be neighbors yeah. uh, down, down the street, a little <laughs> further away, country neighbors. Um, but growing up in that area, um, it's just a really fertile area, and we grew up with gardens. My, my paternal grandfather was Swedish, and my grandmother was Finnish, and they had a beautiful garden. And um, I just remember as a kid being able to have this amazing freedom to visit it and um, sit on the bridge on the creek and eat um, with my brothers and my sister. But um, it's a place in the valley that has so much freedom. Mm -hmm. And my mom was, uh, she's an artist and a writer and a teacher. And she had so many implements that we could create with out of her studio that she was very free to give to us. And my dad was a contractor and he also was very free with wood and tools. And as kids, we were free to create anything. Hmm. And I can't imagine something more free than a garden to be able to create. You literally get to dig in the ground and plant exactly what you want. But um, there's this wonderful relationship that you 
have with nature that nature kind of pushes back and creates what it wants. Sure. So it's like this this story that you tell together between gardening and um, trying to tell it what to do and tell the land what to do. And uh, you, this this nature telling you back, nope, we're going to we- be weedy today, or this isn't going to work today, or it's going to be 90 degrees in June, which is very unusual for the copper country. Right. But living in the valley was just a wonderful, very beautiful, safe place to be able to be creative with yeah. food. And um, we had wonderful neighbors who were Scandinavian bakers. Hmm. And you never went somewhere without somebody feeding you, yeah. right? <laughs> and you had to sit and listen. Um, but also you had corpus and donuts. And um, even I remember my first cup of coffee and I was just little, yeah. right? And it was awful. Right. Ugh, it was so yeah. bad. But it was such um, a grown-up thing to do that you sat and you listened and you drank this horrible cup of coffee yeah. with your sweet. Um, but it was just growing up in such a beautiful place that I just had this love and and was shown so much love with food food was just a great connector and communicator within Hmm. that that growing up okay and geologist by trade right that's what you had said that's right so i i went to michigan tech uh studied geology Mm -hmm. and then on um i did gemology and worked for a local copper company here in the area i love chemistry okay and i love the local history we have a wonderful and rich a copper mining history in the Kiwana. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it kind of morphed into going towards minerals and chemistry and, and crystallography. And you can see that with my cooking as well, because cooking is basically just chemistry sure, and food sure. science. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, if you don't mind, at some point, I won't mind touching on some of the geology side of things, but sticking with the cooking, where has that brought you to today? Like a lot of what I'm interested in is the trajectory and how that has happened. But today, currently, I mean, you're teaching classes, you're cooking some pretty extravagant things, at least from the outside perspective, right? Uh, um, I try to. So I always try to um, be as creative as I can okay. because you're looking to delight, right? Food is such a great way to delight or celebrate things. Mm-hmm. I love to bake and make very fancy cookies and cakes. But also I like to make flavors that are very familiar. Mm-hmm. So my other side of my family is Italian and there's some very specific flavors that I grew up with that I love to create and share because they're so unique. Mm. Um, and when you share those flavors, it brings you back to those family memories, those food memories. Um, and I, I, I just, it's my favorite thing to do is to celebrate with that food. Um, currently I'm teaching a preschool farm and garden class and they are enthusiastic but i'm enthusiastic so it's it's like a tidal wave of nightmare energy in a room (laughs) i have to calm myself down before i walk in um and we're going to be growing with these three to five year olds all summer long in this kitchen garden and then teaching them how to cook what they're growing and then preserve what they're growing and that's a great opportunity um, in the past, I won't be teaching it this fall, but in the past, during the springtime, I teach homeschooling middle and high school students how to grow a garden, and they grow along with me at their own home garden. And then we wake up the garden and learn food science and kitchen science through that. And then in the fall, we reconvene, and they've had their garden all summer long. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of trial and tribulation with a garden 
actually there's a lot of death with the garden, right? Yeah, it's right. just like the numbers game, what survives. Um, and in the fall, they learn how to put their garden to bed. Okay. And they learn food preservation and to really be thrilled with all of their hard work. Right, right. Yeah. So is it equivalent, not not that you have to rank it, but mm-hmm. your, your passion for like the food growth side of things, the gardening and the collecting and, and whatever else versus the cooking and the baking side? Or... Um, really, it just goes with education. Okay. Nothing thrills me more is when a student comes back to me and says, Margaret, I made my first macarons or Margaret, I shared pickles that I grew in my own garden and I shared them with my family at Christmas time because to me, it is all about making those great connections that they're sharing it with somebody that they too can be delighted by creating something and sharing it. Right, right. Yeah. So again, I'm just thinking about a lot of the the trajectory, also the motivation. So that's what, kind of what I'm trying to pick at is like, you enjoy sharing that thrill, but where does that come from? And it sounds like maybe like a childhood thing, right? Mm-hmm. But also the, you mentioned the food and memories thing. That's so true. Like if I eat a, uh, something I haven't eaten in 15 years, it'll take me back 15 years, like instantly compared to somebody telling a story about that thing. Something about like the food and the taste and the smell and the entire experience just brings you right back to that place. Yep. And you'll see with older folks, um, when they taste cardamom rolls or something that they had as a child, nothing delights them more because it brings them back, right? Yeah. To, to being somebody, you know, so much younger. Yeah, those food memories. Um, <clears throat> I am uh, working on a few other things in the future here, but it always is kind of settled in that education aspect. I'm excited Uh, for this upcoming school year to hopefully work with some local schools, getting students serving other students. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, getting that, uh, that independence that they can do that. They can have knife skills. They can have all these skills that will carry them forever. It's not math or science or, you know, reading. It's, it's a skill that they, they can have forever. That's theirs. Yeah. yeah. Have, have you seen an uptick in the last few years of interest in your world, interest in the outdoor world, growing, whatever it is? It seems like there's a pretty big uptick in engagement in, in that side of things. Do you agree? I agree. Um, I feel like the generation underneath me, I'm very lucky that I have a lot of passions. Like I said, geology and cooking and gardening and people, but the generation underneath me, I feel like they have fewer passions, um, but they are realizing that um, maybe sitting in front of a computer or uh, sitting in front of a TV is not as much fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you see them going back to a garden or back into the kitchen um, to not only be able to feed themselves, but with COVID, that was the first wave of people learn, wanting to learn how to garden and cook for themselves. Um, but again, now with food costs going through the roof, mm-hmm. when you go through Walmart and you see baskets of frozen pizzas and Mountain Dew in somebody's basket, right. you, you really, you think like, oh, for the same price, you could have a basket full of fruits and vegetables if you knew how to cook them. Sure. Right. So you're seeing so much with food education and just teaching the basics, how to boil rice, how to boil 
beans, how to mm-hmm. boil eggs, how to prepare very simple things um, that are shelf stable, that people feel like uh, sourdough bread baking. That mm-hmm. was really big during COVID. I don't know if you got into that. No, nope. seen people get into it. Though, yeah, yeah, right. right. Yeah. Um, I think I killed my sourdough starter several times and yeah. I just like watch it die because I, I couldn't successfully make loaves after a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I see a, a big upsurge of it, which is thrilling. There are a lot of opportunities for people to learn how to grow a garden, specifically a kitchen garden. Um, and in here in the Copper Country, we have a very short growing season. We only have 90 real days that you can grow something in. So there's a lot of tricks that um, you can learn to really make a beautiful, bountiful year. Sure, sure. And if you don't mind, I'd like to get into some of those, but I'm curious about the generational thing. Is that part of what it is too from a, like a, let's get away from, from technology kind of thing? Is that part of what your desire is? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I think there is so much more. and. I use technology every day, but when you're out in the garden and when you're out, um, even just as a child talking about Trap Rock Valley, it, there's like an electricity in the summertime mm-hmm. there and you can hear the cicadas and smell the fields. It's a beautiful place. Um, I want my children to experience that. Yeah. So we don't have video games and we very limit screens um, mm-hmm. because I feel like the more they have that relationship with outside, even in the snow. Yesterday we were outside in the snow and um, the the more skills that they have, but the more passions they can find mm-hmm. that they can take that curiosity anywhere outside. They can create their own games. They can create their own kind of world outside, just like I do in a garden. Yeah. Um, but I do see that with a younger generation and some of the high schoolers and middle schoolers that I teach that gardening is not just a focused skill. I mean, I con my brothers who are contractors into doing many things. Like Mm -hmm. I wish I had a lot of contracting skills while I garden, Um, but not only contracting skills, but when I cook, I wish I had so many other skills, like any specific passion that you have. I think you just need an array of abilities. And Mm -hmm. with that younger generation, I feel like they missed out on learning many um, many skills that would help them along those passions. Sure, yeah. sure. And just even from like an imagination standpoint, like when I grew up Trap Rock Valley, which actually was a p- point of contention as I grew up on the hill. So <laughs> oh. I wasn't actually in Trap Rock Valley. Okay. I was, but anyways, um, I would, I mean, what if I was 12, 13 years old, it would be, I'd wake up in the morning in the summer, I would hop on my bike and I'd bike down to my friend's house. We'd be, I mean, rivers, swimming, fishing, hiking, whatever. And it was just like a world of adventure all day, all summer. Like, so I experienced life before any of, you know, current phone technology, all that kind of stuff. So it does seem like there is a generational difference where I, you can look at somebody like in high school today or just graduating and you, I'm guilty as anybody on my phone. Right. But still the the amount of immersed life that they have in their phones is, is pretty crazy. Also, even people, generations older than me, you know what I mean? It seems like there's like this window where say you and I have seen the before and after what it can take, but like sometimes the, the guiltiest person on the phone is the 60 year old right now. You know what I mean? At a family gathering and they're answering their phone or whatever else. It just, yeah, it's a world that if you can get away from, I think it's really beneficial. I agree. Um, I do see my parents 
both sitting side by side on their phones. Yeah. Um, but usually my dad's looking up like what boat is going through the locks at what point in time. Yeah. Um, and but then my kids always want they see it as like something that they can't have. Yeah. Right. So they want it even more. Right. And there's a healthier relationship maybe that I could create with them. It, if phones are really lovely when you garden and cook because everything is there when you think in your head and you're like oh i really bungled this recipe mm-hmm. what went wrong or can i salvage it right i just tap something into my phone and ta-da you mm-hmm. know i can save it it's like a learning experience but also um i feel like there is a learning experience in itself and something going terribly wrong and just stepping away from it right yeah. right Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. So... And I'm curious for you, and I'm, I'm guessing this is true. I bake some, like I'll make cookies 12 times a year, maybe something like that. Um, I enjoy when I do it. I, it is a meditative thing. Like even talking about phones, you're putting your phone to the side and you're doing it and you're measuring this and doing that, whatever else, before you know it, an hour is flying by and it's, it, it, it like clears your mind. I don't know. It, that must be true for you as well. Um, so I've been baking so long. Baking is different than cooking to me. Cooking is much more of like a creative process. I go out to the garden in the morning and I pick what I need for the day. And I think of like, oh, this is what we're having for dinner tonight, Mm -hmm. right? Which is a wonderful um, relationship to have with your own piece of property. But baking, I've been baking so long that I literally don't even think about it. Really? I don't think of the steps. I don't even think of the recipe because I know them so well. Hmm. It is, it's like you said, meditation. Like I escape from the world. I do may or may not have to kick my children out of the house at that point. (laughs) (laughs) With um, my littlest, he's a COVID kid, right? So he has to be with mom. And he is very sweet, but I'm always trying to get him outside Mm -hmm. doing things with his siblings. Yeah. Right. For Mm -hmm. sure. So again, when I had asked you originally to come on, you said at some point, but I'm so busy making chocolates for Valentine's Day, I think it was, right? Oh gosh. Yes. But again, you look at what you make and it's unbelievable. These things are, how do you get the ideas for that? Is that, I mean, the, the, the level of detail in what you make that I can see is crazy. And then also, yeah, just the amount of forethought and, and work that goes into it. How do you, how do you learn all that? How do you know all that? And, and yeah, what inspires you to go to that depth? Um, again, with technology, I love looking on Instagram okay. or Facebook and I follow a lot of European chefs and Asian chefs and to see what they do. Um, I have a wonderful friend 
and she is lovely but she is a chef in Chicago and she's like I have this beautiful passion fruit chocolate I'm gonna send it to you and I'm like please don't Mm -hmm. no one will eat passion fruit chocolate Hmm. in the copper country that is such a weird flavor to us up here yeah um and even though we're very lucky that we're isolated there are flavors that just will not fly or designs that will not fly here yeah um, so I'm very protective of the Copper Country and its its food culture. The same woman came to visit me and I had these Italian paste tomatoes growing in my garden. She's like, oh, it'll taste just like Italy. And I looked at her and I'm like, we are in Hancock, Michigan. Yeah. This is not going to taste just like Michigan. This right. is going to taste just like Hancock. Right. I hate to tell you that because things that grow well here or things that grow well in Italy are not things that grow well here we have different growing zones right. right yeah we have different soils but things that grow well here are naturally um kind of with our food culture that we have already so very scandinavian flavors grow mm-hmm. really well here um and i try to pull back to that scandinavian side first for sustainability i'm not trucking in flavors you know from all over the world sure but flavors that are already existing here. I hate to say it, beets, because I love beets. I make a beautiful beet chocolate cake that um, is not Finnish. It is actually Russian from Mm. the Russian-Finnish border there. Um, And it was just a Depression-style cake where they didn't have a lot of ingredients, so they put vegetables like beets into their cake to keep it moist. And it's just a functional flavor that got put with chocolate, and it's delicious. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, yeah, there's just so many layers of it. And then recently I seen you had cooked or uh, put on a what, a meat class, right? Different methods of cooking beef. Is that correct? So I am not naturally a meat chef. Okay. And for the last few years, every year I kind of pick a theme and go into it and try to teach myself more about it. One was meat because meat is just so expensive. When I play around with cake, I mean, it's sugar and flour and eggs and it's pretty inexpensive. Yeah. Meat, I mean, is so expensive. So when you bungle it, it's awful. (laughs) It kind of hurts your heart and your pocketbook. Yeah. Um, We are lucky enough to have frozen farms up in Calumet and they have grass-fed beautiful local meat and i can't imagine um not having them at this point Mm because they're a wonderful resource i see people who are timid to buy meat or i have a cousin in in new york and she says well we're gonna go vegan because it's better for the planet Mm -hmm. and i thought to my head i thought because we we had pigs at the time and chickens at the time and i thought um, I think it's beyond people thinking it's better from the planet. Mm-hmm. I think what's better for your body, right. better for your local environment, better for your local economy. Getting back to eating local beef, local meat, by understanding how to cook it, how to um, appreciate it a little more other than just frying up a pound of ground ground beef and putting hamburger helper with it. Right, yeah. right. And I'm pretty intimately familiar with the the um logical argument or the moral argument of the vegan versus meat whatever else just from being a hunter you know what death is i mean you know where your meat comes from you're the one that takes it and you understand that in the vegan world it's full of that as well so it's it's uh i think that the uh, from, from my experience the hunting aspect can be a good introduction of meat to somebody that is a a vegan or a vegetarian because they it, it's more of a real experience for them 
you know what I mean? But um, diving into the, you were talking about the grass-fed beef. I'm curious, what's the, ben- I'm not, not very familiar. Can you dive into the benefits of grass-fed versus not grass-fed, stuff like that? So traditionally, conventionally grown beef is grown uh, with corn-fed mm-hmm. animals, right. um, uh, grass and corn-fed animals. And you're not getting that level of nutrition put into the meat that you're eating. Okay. So as the animal eats it, it's not storing um, extra omegas and extra nutrition into the meat. So there's a lack of nutrition. But with that um, traditionally, uh, conventionally grown beef, you're also having to put a lot of synthetic um, additives and um, um, antibiotics into that meat to keep those animals healthy within Mm -hmm. that setting. Okay. And with local meat, you don't. Sure. You, they are free-ranging. They have this beautiful life of eating grass all day long. And like you said, you have that relationship right. with that animal. We do pigs every year, and we get these cute little piglets. And at the end of the season, you know, they go into our freezer. And at first, I was kind of appalled. I was like, oh, my gosh, Margaret, I'm not a hunter. Like, is this a real thing? Like, you did this. But in the end... I think these pigs ate more pastry ever, like fancy pastries. They were the most well-fed pigs ever. Right. Um, but to have that relationship, to see where my meat came from and to a really, really appreciate it. Yeah. How much hard work it was for me, but for them and to savor that meat instead of um, go to Burger King or McDonald's and just eat a burger and not think about it. Mm-hmm. It really helped me appreciate meat kind of in general. And it's been a few years of just, you know, I've always been a meat eater, even growing up, but being uh, more intentional with the cuts that I get and how I cook it because it is so special. Right. Just elevating that. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And it's not a, a moment you enjoy. Like growing up, we had cattle or, I mean, we'd have one or two beef cows at a time my dad would ask me you know it's butchering day and he said hey do you want to shoot it i could have done it but i always opted not to it's just something about it i mean you know i mean this thing would suck on your fingers at as a calf whatever else you become attached to it so it was difficult to get to that point you knew it had to be done yeah but for sure it's not a not something you look forward to i guess well, right. right but um during the winter you certainly appreciate that beef yeah. and it's a process and we live on top of a sand hill so it's not trap rock valley soil which is like right. magic you could throw seeds in it and anything would grow yeah. um and our pigs have actually helped us grow soil hmm. so our soil is so lovely and rich and um they have dug up all the roots to help us plant in those areas like they have so many functions on a farm right they've been a delight to have and we're doing it again this year and oh, yeah. i'm not a lover of pigs they chase you yeah. when you try to feed them and they're <laughs> they're big they're 400 pounds they're these giant animals and i'm only little um yeah so we're gonna do it all over again i just can't get over that i get the opportunity to raise my own meat to uh, build our soil and to teach my children that this is an important part of life. This is part of it and we're doing it. And it's not like we're, um, we don't like the feeling of it. So we're going to remove ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're a part of it. And if you're going to eat it, then you understand it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a pretty big benefit in that. Do the kids understand that, right? Like when you're eating this pork dinner later in the year, they, they understand that this was one of the pigs that you had? Uh, they um, name the pigs, which is terrifying. Right. Um, and they, they name them and... They don't play with them because they're just little kids and I refuse to let them play with these pigs. Yeah. Um, but they understand. And since we've been doing it since they've been little and we grow our own vegetables and food, mm-hmm. I think it's just part of their life. Right. Right. Yeah. That we appreciate our own food because they get to pick the seeds. They get to plant the seeds. They get the weed, the seeds, which are no fun. Right. Weed the plants. But at the end of the season, we pick the beans. We butcher the pigs. You know, this is part of living on a farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. No, I think it would be uh, my end goal and it would be awesome to get into the country, get into the same thing, gardens, livestock, whatever else. Um, But from the hunting side of things, my daughter who is turning four soon is very familiar for sure. Um, We always tell her we're having buck meat and it's to the point where like we'll give her beef, which most kids would prefer. And I I have to tell her it's buck meat so that she'll eat it. Right. (laughs) It's just funny. It's just what they get, what they get used to and whatever else. But the yeah no there's there's so many layers of it how much of it for you is i don't want to put your words in your mouth but like the health aspect of it right the i mean the what you're eating you know where it's coming from you find joy in sharing the food but also it's you know what you're putting into your body right how much of uh, of that is part of the equation for you as well um that is almost secondary okay believe it or not the primary is um the the food memory and the feeling. Yeah. I want to be very respectful to those animals. Sure. That, um, that I want to be part of the process. I even went and met the butcher um, and talked to him about the cuts that I wanted and actively was part of the process, which is terrifying, by the way. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, because I wanted to understand, I just didn't want to stand back and watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to just have it come to me in plastic packages right yeah yeah so did you go there when your animals were there kind of a thing or how did that work yeah out? there was all kinds of animals there but our our pigs went two by two to the butcher yeah okay and was that difficult was that what was that like um it wasn't difficult what was difficult is i grew up knowing that i would never be a biologist because right. you know when you dissected the frog mm-hmm. and you got all queasy that was me okay. like i thought this is not going to be a good experience but it turned out to be a great experience at the butcher and intestines and all right, right. just um i think it's getting over that um that disgust it's more of that appreciation like this is life we are all like this the further i feel like you get removed from the reality of food and feeding yourself Mm -hmm. the more you're fooling yourself sure right you're just you're just making up a world that is not in reality right um like you're a hunter Mm -hmm. and you have to feel dress those deer and skin those deer and all the things and that's hard work yeah and carrying that thing out is hard work and you've already taught your kids like this is part of the process and this Mm. is this is why we appreciate it so much yes right right the yeah again the a lot of what I'm interested in is the act itself what are you doing but also just the why and what's the motivation but I'm surprised that not necessarily surprised I wouldn't have necessarily expected that the health aspect is secondary, that you're really, the focus is the memories and the, and the and joy around the act. Not that one's better than right, the other. I'm right. just, I was potentially surprised by that. But <clears throat> what, do you mind getting into 
some of the specifics you mentioned like the short growing season here's what you do to lengthen that mm -hmm. what, are, what are some of those things that you've learned and that you try to teach other people um first of all um when you start gardening i do encourage you to go to your local library okay. because your local library is going to carry books that are specific for our growing zone and when i say growing zone our climate here in the copper country is really unique mm -hmm. we have the lake to keep us warm relatively warm compared to you know minnesota and other places right but we get a lot of snow mm -hmm. so it really changes when you can start planting in the spring and when the first frost comes when i grew up in trap rock valley it was very cold right you lived on top of the hill right, right? Yeah. so we're about 10 degrees cooler on those autumn mornings and you got the first frost i mean we got the first frost uh, you know 10 days earlier than you might have yeah um and the same in the springtime you're just waiting to plant out those tomatoes and those um those tender plants um my suggestion is to go to your library, learn as much as you possibly can. There's some wonderful resources in both the, the, the or in the Lake Linden, Calumet, Houghton, Hancock libraries. There's also a lot of information out on the internet. Please be very specific to your growing zone. In Hancock, we're a 5B. Okay. Okay. And what that means is the USDA has set up these growing zones, these general growing zones that you kind of follow. Plants that are planted in these growing zones um, kind of follow this. So there are some trees that I can plant in my growing zone that a cooler growing zone cannot. Hmm. It won't survive. Right. And in the copper country, we go all the way to a 4A, which... Okay sounds 5b 4a really it just means 15 days difference between when that frost might come and that that growing season can start but hmm. 15 days on each end is you know it's 30 days right right that actually is a really long long much longer growing season um you can extend that by using greenhouses and hoop houses and getting pretty clever with very free materials growing up with my dad as a contractor, we always had visqueen or um, plastic mm -hmm. to help the garden um, to get it kick-started to warm up. Um, there's a wonderful free resource in the Portage Library here in Houghton. It's called a seed library, and Calumet might have one too. And a seed library is where you can go in. They have uh, packets of seeds mm -hmm. that you can take out. Hmm. grow all season long and then you return seeds at the end of the year hmm. your abundant uh seed saving that you you might do and sometimes people would be very um hesitant from taking seeds out because they're like well what if it doesn't grow what if i can't return seeds it's okay right you have enough crazy people like me that are donating enough seeds that it's okay to trial and error. Hmm. When you're gardening, there's a lot of things that die anyway. Right. You just have to expect that and just uh, learn from it and move on. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. Are there a lot of little things that you've learned like through the years of the gardening side of things? I'm talking little tips and tricks or is it hard to try to even think of them because they're almost second nature and you don't realize that other people don't know the things that you know? I think the biggest thing is you will always learn. I've been gardening all my life and I even have my grandfather's gardening books and the notes that he has written in the sides. He obviously was still learning, you know, 30, 40 years into gardening. Hmm. Um, one tip is 
that grow things that you will actually eat because you will actually care about them and actually weed them. Right. Um, Save a little part of your garden for weird and wonderful varieties. Sure. You don't realize that a lot of the varieties that we grow or see in the grocery store are commercially grown seed that there's only one variety. Hmm. When you go into the grocery store, there's one variety of zucchini. Right. The green zucchini. But there's really 150 varieties of zucchini that you can grow. Right. And they're weird and wild and wonderful. Um, And you can have that opportunity to expand your palate in your kitchen, you know, expand that experience with food in your kitchen by growing your own food Mm -hmm. because you get to pick all these weird varieties. Um, But also you get to see that delight of your kids seeing purple potatoes or (laughs) right. Um, uh, Purple radishes in our house. Not that they actually eat them. They just look at them. Um, But there's a lot of purple, naturally purple uh, occurring vegetables, purple peas, purple beans. One year we matched our gardening boots to our garden, which was all purple. And you can have so much fun with a garden. Right. Yeah. Right. Do your kids get pretty engaged? They are very engaged in the garden my little guy was two last year and i planted peas and or beans broad beans in the garden and he was going behind me i didn't notice and he was picking them out of the soil and handed them to me at the end (laughs) and you were like "Ah, well we'll just start all over and the kids can be really destructive in a garden but it really it's just a learning experience and it's okay if they are yeah because then you just plant it again and you just can't worry about it right right yeah do you on the on the seed side of things is that a utility thing or do you really get engaged in like the history of seeds and the origin of seeds and stuff like that if you think of a seed just as you're a hunter you think of all the things that animal the heritage of that animal and where it eats all of its food when you look at a dry bean or a dry seed it's a life in there. It's a little tiny life that's waiting to wake up. And you think of all the human hands that have touched that seed in its history to get it to be where it's at today. Mm -hmm. And all the knowledge, like a book, is placed within, folded within that little seed. And it's so exciting when you plant it and you learn about it um, that it grows into this plant that also gives you seeds that you can save for the next year. Yeah, it becomes um, your past. You get to learn about its past, but you are part of its present and into its future. It's mm-hmm. very exciting. I love seeds. Yeah. Yeah. No, a little bit of exposure to uh, one of the shows I follow, Meat Eater. They had a guy on there that was like trying to find the origin of all seeds. He's a Native American uh, trying to find like the origin of corn or all these different types of seeds that are the the current version that we know today is way different than what they had and way different than like you said the 150 zucchinis that are available out there so you dive head first into all that stuff the different or not necessarily the origins but the variations and stuff like that you try to have some fun with the 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 weird and the different and, and you shouldn't even say weird or different but you could say original right uh, but maybe not the original i am just a thousand percent a snot when it comes to my garden okay i want everything to taste delicious sure And you don't realize that the conventional seed grown for the store is grown for a disease resistance and ease of picking, but not for flavor. Right. So when you eat your grandmother's zucchini, it's a total different experience. When I pick a zucchini seed or zucchini variety to grow, it is a thousand percent about flavor. And it's exciting right now. We have chefs and seed manufacturers and, um, and produce 
people and, and store owners getting together and saying, how can we make things in our store taste delicious, but also easy to grow? So you have a lot of companies like Row 7 is one where it's a seed that is easy to grow, but also tastes like gourmet, crazy, mm. amazing. Right. Yeah. Because for a long time, it was taste was not even in the picture, right? Like you said, uh, growth, size, appearance, all that kind of stuff. Um, is it true that typically the best tasting produce is the worst looking compared to... <laughs> not necessarily. No, <laughs> no not necessarily. Um, no, I know people say, well, ideally you want to go into a store and feel like all the produce. Um, I suggest going to a farmer's market. Okay. Your farmer will teach you sure. more than you can imagine about the best tasting produce. And they also have the weirdest varieties. Hmm. Um, we have the Calumet Farmer's Market, the Lakeland Farmer's Market, the Hancock Farmer's Market, and the Houghton Farm mar- Markets. We have four farmer's markets. Hmm. You have a lot of opportunity to meet your farmers. And we've had an uptick of young people moving into our areas. Um, they're they're taking these old farms and breathing new life into them mm-hmm. and they see the food system is so important and it's inexpensive to buy a farm up here yeah so they come and they're breathing new life into our farmers markets and you go to the farmers market and there's 25 vendors right there it's like a bonanza yeah. of food and textures and flavors and it's so fun huh. to see what they're growing every saturday Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Doing real estate, I have a lot of young clients coming in from out of the area and a lot of them are excited about just like what you said, like, let's buy a farm, let's grow a garden, let's do this. And it's fe- currently feasible here way more compared to wherever they were just coming from. So it's, uh, yeah, I could see that for sure. A growth in that world. Yeah. Yeah. We have seven new uh, market gardeners that have come to the area and that doesn't mean people, smaller farms don't come to the farmer's market. These are gardeners and and market gardeners that have put so much money into infrastructure on their farm mm-hmm. where when you see their tables at the farmer's market you can hardly see their faces because their produce is stacked so high right. and they have bounties of carrots and things and it's just that's exciting to see and it's also exciting to see customers come back every saturday and Hmm. fill their bags for the week from local produce and dr sequin is a uh, functional medicine doctor in the area and Hmm. um an md and she teaches that gut health Mm -hmm. your health um is is based on your gut health your your what bacteria is in your intestines right and she did a wonderful presentation um, on the microbes that are in the soil are so important for our bodies hmm. and our gut and our, our immune system and our overall health. And when you're at a farmer's market, that dirt lives on that uh, carrot, right. right? It's there. And then you eat it and it becomes part of that gut bi- microbiome. So it's making you so much more healthy than carrots that are scrubbed that are from California that have been washed in bleach water, that it's no longer there. These are just, it's just a different relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. No, I get the sense that even though you said that the health is secondary, the fact that you're engaged in the gut biome and you're thinking about the person with the 12 pack of Mountain Dew and thinking what that's doing to that and you're like, <laughs> so it's for sure part of your world, right? It's uh, very much part of my world. But yeah. when I see that at Walmart, I just, it makes me think, and I've taught a lot of um, cooking classes with Michigan Tech and Finlandia students. 
they literally don't know better. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I am like, ah, that's so unhealthy. I think they just don't know how to cook food. One taught me, a student taught me how to make ketchup noodles. Do you know that's a thing? Never heard. It's hot noodles with ketchup on it. Okay. Because I taught them how to make red marinara sauce. Mm -hmm. And they're like, why am I not just buying a bottle of ketchup and putting it on my noodles? And I I was like, oh, well, you learn something every day. You can't reach them all. Yeah. 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 That's funny. So you, at one point you hinted earlier that people is a part of your interest. How does that play into your teaching? Have you had a lot of, I mean, do you, you must enjoy the people and I'm curious about any stories you've had about uh, just fun times of teaching people the, the, the joys of food. Um, I love, I can't help being away uh, towards people. Um, when we were in COVID shutdown, it was the worst. (laughs) I was hanging out with my kids all day. I'm talking to my friends on the phone, but to be physically engaged with people in front of them or with them and sharing in the passions that I really love is, I I just, it delights me more than anything. Um, I really have found kind of a niche though. I love middle school aged kids. Okay because they're enthusiastic like me, but mm-hmm. they also had have had enough science that they can understand Mendel's principles where breeding, like seed breeding comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, they can understand a lot of uh, like the anatomy of a plant and carry that on to other things within what we're teaching. They can understand food science. They can measure things out. Middle school kids, give them enough credit. They can do so much within their own garden and their own kitchen. Right. Um, I feel like parents kind of overwatch a lot of things that's going on, but mm. they're so talented and they're they're interested. When you get to high school, I think they're kind of checked out. Yeah. I kind of decided I do or don't like this thing. But if I can catch them in middle school and give them a few skills, I feel like they'll round back to that, like you cooking your 12 um, batches of cookies a year. Right. right? That's a skill. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and in middle school, are they or in high school, you could say, is there a point where they're like they're too cool, even if they maybe they're interested in it, but they don't want to feel the social pressure of being engaged in something that might not be viewed as cool, right? Yeah, I think high school, uh, the later years in high school, they're so focused on getting to university and um, cooking is seen as a trade. Sure. Um, And the difference between trade and university, I think is so stigmatized in our culture. Yeah. Trade is really just skill. Sure. You can live on this skill. Right. You can make a living with this skill. Right. It's a wonderful thing to learn. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. You can do both things. For sure, yeah. Oh, right. Absolutely. I mean, it's so true that, I mean, just even diving into that world, the trades world is hurting for people so bad that anybody in that world where you're skilled, you're a hard worker, you'll have a, a huge future ahead of you. I think it might be changing somewhat, but as a culture, we're still so, like you said, it's still so stigmatized, but I think that that has to counterbalance at some point here. I think so. Um, the trades world, just growing up with my dad, uh, being a tradesman, you're as a tradesman, your world doesn't stop. It's not like a nine to five job. Right. You, you eat dinner and you make might take a nap but then you get ready for the next day by working on something for the next day it's just in you and to see the breadth of skills that you need to have to be a tradesman it's not like you're just a plumber right you're also you're very aware of the electrical and timing of things and the other contracting that goes on there's just so much to learn that i feel like trades people are very whole people Mm -hmm. and they have a lot of different passions and interests 
Um, whereas people who go into the university track, they're very focused. And right. when you're going to university, instead of educating as a whole person, they kind of educate one specific skill. And I feel like they're missing out on so many other things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For sure. Is that a world you're interested in, like the education world on a like a, a large scale reform side of things or even a, a, a small scale internal reform? More on like middle school education okay. reform. I would love to see more food education. Can I ask you, when you were in school, did mm -hmm. you have a home ec class? We, I don't believe so. I think it got phased out like a year or two before I got there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, did you have a wood shop class? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did Woods, metals. Calumet was pretty good with their trades classes, but okay. Yeah. We were the last class I believe to have a home ec class and we had to flip flop. They had wood shop for half the year and home ec the other year and then we flipped. Sure. And let me tell you, my wood shop days were very sad and I'm pretty sure my brother had to finish all of my projects, but yeah. that's not the point. Right. Although he was stellar in home ec, hmm. just to let you know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, I just feel like giving kids those skills, give them the ability to look back on themselves and say, I did that. Right. Instead of giving themselves an A or an F or a C or literally a grade, they just say, I did it. Right. Right. I accomplished something. And my dress that I sewed in home ec was so bad, but it doesn't matter. Right. Like I can use a sewing machine if I need to. Mm -hmm. Right. Those are just skills I feel like you're not graded on that it's really something that they can build on for the rest of their life and if who knows with this food system and what's happening realize 98 percent of the food is brought into the copper country right and when we saw the shortages in the stores during covid um it really panicked people yeah sure yeah sure so the um again the growing side of things that helps in that world as well right the fact of the self-sufficient side of things hey, that gives you security gives you peace the in that world like again covid you're 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 struggling the, the shelves are low whatever else the fact that you have your own stockpiles or whatever else the, your your own growth side of things that that helps you feel more secure that and also getting out every day is like <clears throat> therapy just to let you know when you have little kids mm -hmm. i suggest to all moms to start a garden so you can just escape your own human beings that you've created um right just to have that connection with nature and that be able to like tell something to grow here and they actually grow in that spot yeah. um, because kids are kind of they do their own thing it's so nice to have that therapy as a gardener um, yes that self-sufficiency yes to have that relationship with food and to teach that to my children um, but but more so that i have that security going into the future mm -hmm. like you know, we can do this. And my brothers, um, we do pigs and my brothers do cows. Right. So we do a lot of trading and bartering and they come and they may or may not bring me a, a, a wagon full of uh, Trevor Valley soil right. once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll do anything for a little uh, uh, dirt from Trevor. Yeah. Yeah. And your pigs have helped that out too, you said, hey, just through their processes. Yes. Yeah. Pigs are awesome. They're, um, they get out once in a while, Yeah. Um, but they're pretty friendly. Um, we live on the bike trails okay. in Hancock and we're known as the pig people. Hmm. Logan, that's awful. Yeah. Like, can we be known as something else? That would be great. Um, but our pigs are very friendly and they'll go see the bikers when they come up. Yeah. Yeah. So it adds to the flavor it of the does. bike ride. Yeah. It's like the menagerie at yeah. the Hanson house. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That's funny. 
so you said middle schoolers are you really in where you really enjoy do you teach adults as well some I of the do. teaching class um okay. i taught quite a few <clears throat> adult classes because adults are already they're seeking something mm-hmm. it's so nice to teach somebody who is interested right, right? um and when you're an adult you bring what you already have with you to the class so all that baggage all that food memory that you may have had as a kid sometimes it's not nice food memories i have some really fantastic food memories but sometimes you meet adults and they have been thrown out of the kitchen all their lives Mm -hmm. you know their parents never let them cook and they are seeking to cook but they have such negative memories of being in a kitchen or around a kitchen that teaching them is more of a mental game Hmm. than an actual physical um, act of cooking. Sure. So I love teaching adult classes. I love exploring different foods. We did a vegan class, which was really interesting to Mm -hmm. teach um, people how to eat a little more plant-based, not to teach them how to become vegan, but really to maybe reduce the amount of meat that they're eating Sure. or to appreciate and buy um, nicer cuts of meat. Mm -hmm so they don't have to eat meat every week and still fit it in their budget right okay Mm -hmm. the adult side of things you said that part of it is the more of a a mental thing right or a emotional thing right do you enjoy that working through that it actually was so shocking to me that that was even a thing i came to cook cook with adults and I, i have just said such fantastic food memories that Food is always fun to me. Yeah. Um, and to sit down and we would go around Robin on the table and talk about where they grew up and their food memories or their association with farming or whatever thing I was teaching that day. Mm-hmm. And they would just tell me these memories or these horrific things that happened to them as a kid. Um, you know, simple things right. that have, have carried with them all of their life. That was really fascinating to me. It also was interesting to sit at a table full of men and women that have known each other for many, many years, decades, and to give them a voice and a spot at the table to talk about food and to hear things, siblings even, talk about food so differently Hmm. or to expel things and tell stories about their 150 piece rolling pin collection that nobody knew about from Mm. Munising. Like what? Like I never knew that about you. It just gave them a place to talk about it. And that was really exciting to see those connections made, but also it taught me more than I think that was teaching them. Yeah. Right. Right. No, that's part of what I've always been interested in people like you. Right. Um, but I enjoy the, like with this podcast, I really enjoy like what makes somebody tick, but also like the let's talk about things that aren't ever talked about. You know what I mean? Like the emotional side of things, right? Like I can no problem. Like let's go there right now. You know what I mean? And right because people can live their whole lives and never, like you said, you can have these this. You may not even realize this potential negative food memory that's affecting you today. And without being able to discuss it or even acknowledge the fact that it's there, you don't have a growth outside of that. You know what I mean? And food is very something that they, they studies find that at 35 or 30, your food patterns are kind of set for life. Hmm. You are going to cook what you're going to cook for all of your life. Hmm. Isn't that, that boggles my mind. Right. You're not going to 
you're very rarely going to learn new recipes. Statistics say that those are the flavors that you are going to enjoy and cook forever and ever. My grandmother, who is Finnish, um, she's in her mid-90s now, and the things that she would cook were from the Depression. Hmm. Right. Right. And those are the flavors. I mean, they're not fancy at all, but those are the flavors that she knows, and she would cook those over and over and over again. So it's important um, for older generations to new learn new flavors new skills um and i find with cooking with elderly with the senior citizen population that one person has died out of the couple Mm -hmm. who was the cook right and then the other person is literally straining vegetables from a can of soup to eat vegetables Hmm. because they have never learned those skills of cooking or feeding themselves in their brain this is how they're going to eat today Right. Yep. So it's just relearning some skills and nutritionally, I mean, it's a good thing. I feel like nutrition has uh, such a part to play in our cognitive and our, our whole body health. Mm-hmm. Um, but to teach them that they can, that independence and keep them independent is so important. Right, yeah. right. No, so that's why I was asking about the adult side of things, the, um, you know, what they go through, the emotions, whatever else, because you mentioned that, like I'm thinking with this podcast, <clears throat> There's something about creating a certain setting where I'll ask a question. We ask 10 more questions and we, I just, before we got on, I'll ask them. It makes me think of this other question I never would have thought of. And we get into this moment that never would have happened if we were eating lunch or at a, at a social event or whatever else. The, I think the same is true for your cooking class, yeah, right? Very intentional. Right. Like something about being intentional creates that next level moment or thing or or growth or whatever it is yep and to have each person go around the table and kind of open up it encourages the next person to kind of be very honest with themselves and reflect upon their own life and to hear those things those fears or those memories and be like oh yeah that is why i'm doing the things that i'm doing and Hmm. share that with the group yeah Absolutely. I think there is much to say about a group setting with cooking, though, because cooking is a cooking is peer pressure. For sure. sure. You're cooking with other people. You're eating things with other people. Um, I know with my children, one is a picky eater. Mm -hmm. Drives me crazy. Right. But if he sees his sister eat it and his younger brother eat it, he thinks, oh, well, they didn't die. Right. I could probably eat it too. <laughs> and to to cook with people and to, for them to try new things um, in that uh, environment is very exciting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the 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 I'm thinking about the adults that had the you know bad past with food. Were you able to change that at all? Did they, did you have any moments where they're like, "This is pretty cool," or no? Um, you know, it has a lot of ranges of things. Um. I feel like there's so many things out there that people can say that they are okay. that closes them off immediately um, that they only eat mushrooms, sure, which is a thing, turns out, right? Um, or they're vegetarian or they're vegan or they're this or they're that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's even a thing where you can just eat meat products. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. All right. Um, so with all these words, I'm a big fan of words, but once you label yourself mm-hmm. as that type of eater it's really hard to explain to yourself why you are not that type of eater sure um do you drink coffee every morning yeah typically more in the last three four years i got into it yeah i drink coffee every morning and to not have a cup of coffee and to call myself not a coffee drinker well i think i would would die on the inside right it's just so much part of who i am 
Um, but to see people sit around a table and reconsider their own um, labeling on themselves mm-hmm. through food instead of I feel like we were much more family oriented and you just ate what the the Herkus family ate that right. day that is what we're eating mm-hmm. and you got lots of options and that's what we're eating today so I feel like that labeling has hurt a lot of people and I see that so much in classes that they're like oh I wouldn't even try that because mm. I'm a this right or I'm a that and I just think you are missing out on so many wonderful opportunities besides the nutrition side because i don't love to get the nutrition side in there Mm -hmm. because it cuts you off from other fun food opportunities that you would just say yeah i'm too i'm too fit for that i don't i don't eat butter right who doesn't eat butter right everybody loves butter right you just don't know you love butter (laughs) i know right yeah yeah i could see that like and then I asked you about the health and the nutrition, whatever else, like there's a lot of value and benefit there, but you as a way to connect with the world, like there's a thousand rabbit holes there that you'll, you'll probably never win. So just focus on the, the good and the positive side of the thing. Yeah. I, 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 that's the, I think that's the right way to go for yeah. sure. Yeah. Making great connections, fun food, especially with kids. I find that if kids see that it's fun mm-hmm. instead of like um, saying it's healthy or like it is because of this way, you're just celebrating it. They're much more apt to do it next time or eat it next time instead of like having this having to think about eating it. Right. right. They don't have to think about eating it. They can just eat the carrots. They're yeah. orange and they're very fun. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know I, I definitely, especially after this conversation, I think this is a world we'll get into eventually. Uh, my daughter would love it. My son would love it more to just play in the dirt. Um, but it's even even five, 10 years ago, I would have said, I would have had the opinion like, I don't care about a garden. I'll just buy my vegetables. I'm just being honest. That's where I would have been. Mm-hmm. But it must be that maybe having kids, maybe getting older, I don't know what it is, but for sure I could see the value and the benefit and the joy and what that would all entail for sure. There is a lot of time commitment and I want people to be very honest with themselves when they start a garden. Um, on my website is teachtotaste.com. Okay. Yep. Um, there is a garden log and it just helps you understand that there are weeks and weeks and weeks of work within a garden. Mm -hmm. It could be just five minutes, 15 minutes, you know, a few hours, but to organize yourself and to be honest with yourself that, you know, every week you're going to have to be out there Mm -hmm. and, um, harvesting, planting, weeding. It's that relationship that you're creating. It is not something that you do as like a flippant idea there's a lot of like thought and time and commitment it's like having a pet sure you can't just leave it home alone right yes right Mm -hmm. a lot of investment but rewarding right a lot of time investment it doesn't have to be money investment which is wonderful especially if you're first starting out and people say to me all the time um i couldn't do it i tried it and it died and Mm -hmm. i quit Oh, okay. You know what's the best thing about a garden is the winter time. You can sit and read about it and learn more about it. And in the spring, you get to try again. How right. great is that? Right. Um, gardens are the most... Um, garden and cooking, you get to try again on each of them, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like they're the most um, uh, forgiving of all things. Because next year, it always is going to be better Mm because you know that your mistakes that you made, you can always come back to it like an old friend and you can always apologize and you always try again. Matt Borsma, who has the Borsma family, um, they have the largest 
market garden in the western upper peninsula Mm -hmm. and he said the most wonderful thing to me and i'm like matt how do you put this in and this in and this in and then what is the timing of this and he goes oh just try it yeah put it in whenever and I was like, wow, this is really lazy, like lazy-dasical, like very, like anytime, no worries. He goes, try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'm yeah. like, wow, what a great, <laughs> okay. You know, maybe I'm just thinking about it too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you the type where you are very structured? Like you would like to have it a schedule, like on June 1st, I'd like to do this. And it, it took a bit to just try it. I have been doing a garden log for the last now 12 years. Okay. And it has been more functional to me because now we have kids and we're building a cottage and I have cooking classes and I have the farmer's market every Sunday. If I don't set that up in my planner to do those tasks, they just don't get done. Sure. And if they don't get done, it's very sad. Right, right. <laughs> um, my husband has much more of an accountant mind mm-hmm. and he likes that satisfaction of weeding a row and you look at the row and it's perfect hmm. and it's weed, weed free mm-hmm. so i just let him weed and he's great at it hmm. he's also we've invested in uh garden fabric if you're looking to spend some money in a garden it's between fencing fencing is so important for the deer right um but garden fabric is a 20-year fabric that you lay out and burn holes in hmm. and then you plant your things in there it's much easier on the weeds okay. which is nice yeah yeah good little tip there the and what about the business side of things that okay you have teach to taste.com mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. what it is right yep and, and and you've got different your instagram page stuff like that do you enjoy the the business end of things so my companies run as kind of a mutual aid program okay. <laughs> i do the farmer's market i do a scandinavian bakery there and i get to talk to the most wonderful people and mm. they tell me about their flavors and their families and again about people but it pays for the cooking classes because okay. cooking classes are really expensive sure um you have to have materials for everybody and it just is such a suck of money hmm. um i wish i could do more of them hmm. so i i do more farmers markets so i can teach more um i hope one day i don't have to do that mm-hmm. because the farmers market is very life-giving to me because of the people and the memories that are made there and the important work is the education side mm-hmm. it's so important i had a student come back to me who told me that something that i had taught her about mendel's law about genetics and beans that she shared with her class um the follow a few years passed and it was so like an aha moment for me it was like oh, hmm. i am doing something right yeah. if you can talk about mendel's law about breeding your own seeds and then saving your own seeds and how important that might be of saving those you know specific traits of those bean seeds anyway it was that is my real work. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So do you want to try, you want to try to find a way to focus more on the education side? I would love to find a physical location to do education um, and do cooking classes out of um, and do pastry if I can do, if I can do both, that would be wonderful. It is very hard to find a commercial kitchen in the Upper Peninsula that is complete Mm -hmm. that um, is in a retail location that is smart. I also would love to share the Copper Country um, culture and history through food Mm -hmm. by inviting visitors and tourists in Hmm. to celebrate our wonderful and very rich uh, food history. It doesn't go, you know, 
it goes beyond pasties right and right. um and cinnamon rolls like we have more than that to offer up here um there's some wonderful italian heritage and czechoslovakian heritage mm-hmm. up here that i think gets missed through all of the food history yeah sure sure that would be cool to see you do that focus yeah. in on that and make that happen somehow could you like share a kitchen with people because i know i i know of somebody else that wants a commercial kitchen as well yep we could share a kitchen and um <clears throat> through a lot of laws within michigan michigan is a very tight um has quite a quite a few layers of laws with commercial kitchens and it's very difficult to have a kitchen um for canning jams Mm -hmm. and also have a kitchen for making pickles and also having a kitchen to uh do a catering kitchen um or to do my chocolates out of those are four different types of kitchens right and to have them overlap sometimes you actually have to have a physical barrier between kitchens Hmm. to make it legal Mm -hmm. And there's so much red tape and so much legal jargon just to create a space that would be able to to um, comply with all of these things. It is mind boggling, but we're getting there. Sure. And um, there is a commercial kitchen that is for uh, that you can rent in Launce, mm-hmm. Um and then one in Marquette. Okay. Uh, we would love to see one here in the in the Houghton Hancock area. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna mention it to somebody. Who knows? Just put things out there and see where. It, See where it goes. Yeah, MSU Extension has been really wonderful. They they kind of their their gears grind very slowly. Yeah, um, which is great for me in my situation because I have little kids still and I'm home with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to see something happening quickly with all the local farmers coming. We would love to see what is called a food hub. Okay. So these local farmers they work so hard during the summertime doing their harvests mm-hmm. and they're working so hard with our local schools getting local food into those schools but with those extra harvests they could create value added products which is important for their bottom line so mm-hmm. they can be more profitable so we can have more of them and they can stay our food system can be a little more robust around here um but but to have them grow cabbages so they can make sauerkraut would be ideal hmm. that they could have a product that they could sell on on the farmers market tables in June when cabbages are not available yet. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I want to close this out with any you you've touched on some, but like any favorite memories or favorite things or unexpected things that have come out of this whole world as you got into this. Is there anything from the teaching side, the gardening side, with your kids, with your students, anything that surprised you or just fun, enjoyable moments that you've had? Um, I have to say that going into food, I'm always interested in food and always was a gardener, but I have never met a community within the food community or within the gardening community that is so diverse, Okay. but also working so hard to help each other. Hmm. It's very unusual, um, even coming from Michigan Tech to find a group that is so collaborative. Right than competitive Hmm. they are they will help you to the ends of the earth and um physically or whatever they whatever you need Mm -hmm. um and that is exciting to see so much collaboration to help the food system up here and um see that kindness really growing up in trap rock valley you were kind we kind of lived in a very special place Mm -hmm. that everyone kind of watched out for you and helped you and fed you whenever you needed it for sure gave you that freedom right 
But coming back to that being kind to each other, there's no political agendas. There's no special interests. We are all interested in getting this food system, you know, a little more robust, feeding our families, being kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was so surprised and delighted. Nowhere else would I have ever met these wonderful people and have befriended them. Hmm. Yeah. It was great. Well, it's interesting that, uh, to tie that into even real estate is as a local real estate agency. I mean, there's many agencies in the area from, from my first impression coming in is they all work together really well. And you talk to real estate agent groups in other areas and that's not the case. Same with gardening and same with farming, same with food, same with all the things. It's incredibly competitive. Yeah. I feel like, what is it? Is it like the will to survive up here? (laughs) The isolation? We don't have a lot of resources. I don't know why it is, but we live in a very kind place and that is lovely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I wonder if it is uh, uh, like, uh, I mean, I mean, you go back a hundred years to make it through winter together. You had to band together. You know what I mean? Like the, the amount of stru- trials and struggles. And even today, I mean, like you picture the, the guy gets stuck in the snowbank and the next seven cars that pass by are like, hey, you need some help. You know what I mean? It's just a different vibe compared to a lot of areas of the world. I We are so lucky that we get to live here, that we get to raise our children in such an environment. And just like Trap Rock Valley was when I was a little kid, we live outside of Hancock here. It is a really lovely, free place for my kids to discover their own passions mm-hmm. and to live a very, we live kind of a sheltered life. Right. And I am totally okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Margaret, I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. That was this a delight. Fun. Wasn't that fun? Yeah. That's so fun. You're going to have to come over for dinner sometime. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have and you feel so inclined, share this podcast with your friends, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.